0: Our scripture passage this morning is in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness.
1: Well, thank you, Nikki. Well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans. And so if you're new with us, um, this is kind of what we do, we kind of just take books of the Bible and make our way through uh, verse by verse. And so we've been in Romans. Um, obviously, if we're in chapter 12, we've been here for a while now. And so um, last week, if you remember, we are in verses 1 and 2. And so this morning, um, we are going to begin here in chapter 3, going through to verse 8 here. And this morning really is, is what we're going to see within our passage this morning. This is really an application of the exhortation that Paul gave last week in verses one and two. And so if you remember that that primary exhortation that Paul gave in verse one from last week to the church at Rome and to us as well by extension is that the Jew and the Gentile believers in the church at Rome and us as well are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And he says that's our, that's our spiritual act of, of worship to the Lord. And so as I mentioned last week, in the Old Testament, one of the ways in which people worshiped God was by slaughtering an animal and offering that animal as a sacrifice to the Lord in worship to God. And isn't everybody thankful that we don't continue to do that today? And that's not the means or the way by which we, the manner in which we worship God today. Like, that would be a mess, like... A bloody mess this morning. So thankfully we don't do that. Instead now... ...in the New Testament the way that we worship God... ...is by not offering an animal sacrifice... ...as a, as a worship to God. Instead now the way that we worship God now... ...is, is by offering ourselves. That, that we hop on the altar now... ...and it's by us hopping on the altar now... ...and offering our bodies as a living sacrifice now... ...to the Lord... It's by that means and by that manner in which God is worshipped. We present ourselves as a holy and pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. But if you remember from last week, that, that sacrifice that we offer is, isn't just our individual selves. Instead, if you remember from last week, we talked about how that word in, in verse 1 there of chapter 12, bodies is plural, and how the word sacrifice is singular. And so the picture isn't just a whole bunch of different sacrifices in the the context of our church. He's a sacrifice, she's a sacrifice, he's a sacrifice. And we're offering all these individual, ourselves as individual sacrifices on our own. Instead, the picture that Paul is painting here is you have these Jew and Gentile believers coming together as one within the church at Rome, offering themselves together as one singular corporate sacrifice to the Lord that is holy and pleasing to the Lord. And that, then, is their spiritual act of, of worship. And that's the same exhortation that we gave last week for us as a church, right? That this is how we worship God. We come together as, as one and offering ourselves to the Lord as one singular corporate sacrifice known as cross fellowship church there's one altar and all of us as a church get on that altar together and it's through our corporate body that the Lord is worshiped as a pleasing aroma to the nostrils of the Lord and so at first glance like we hear that we we heard that last week and we're like okay I I see the the imagery there I I I see that the picture there that that Paul is is painting there? That makes sense. I, I get the corporate aspect of that, not just all these individuals. I, I get all that. But like, what's that look like on Monday? Like I, like in detail, like in the particulars, like in, in the specifics, like how does that play itself out? What, what does it look like practically, specifically for us as a church to offer ourselves as a singular corporate sacrifice to the Lord? That's the question that Paul's going to begin to answer in verse 3 and really extending all the way through about halfway through chapter 15. And he's going to begin to answer it within our passage this morning in verses 3 through 8, that that within this passage, he's going to begin to unpack what it means, what it looks like. Practically, specifically, in the particulars, in the details for us to offer ourselves as a church, as a corporate living sacrifice to the Lord in such a way that, that he's not disgusted by it, that he doesn't reject it, but instead in such a way that it's that it's holy to him, it's pleasing to him, it's acceptable to him, it's an act of, it's an act of worship to him. So what, what's that look like? What's that, what, what's that involve? What's that, how's that practically flesh itself out? We're gonna see two things that it involves. And first is, is this, and you see all this on your, your hand up there, that we, living as a corporate sacrifice to the Lord, offering ourselves as a church, as a corporate living sacrifice to the Lord, involves, first of all, us thinking rightly about ourselves in the church. It involves us thinking rightly about ourselves in the church. This is what Paul says. He's gonna go on to say there in in those first three verses, really verse three, verse four, and verse five within our passage this morning. He's first going to tell us how we aren't to think of ourselves and view ourselves in relation to others in the church. And then he's gonna tell us how we are to think of ourselves and view ourselves in relation to others within the church. And so he first begins in verse three, by telling us how we aren't to think of ourselves and view ourselves in relation to others in the church. And you see this on your handout there. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. That's what Paul begins to say there in verse three. Look there with me. He says, for, remember this word for, it connects, connects what he's about to say in verse three to everything that he said in verses one and two. In other words, he's, he's explaining, he's unpacking how we're to live is this corporate living sacrifice together as a church. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Like it's hard to describe just how shocking this would have been for those who heard it in the church at Rome that Paul was writing to. And the reason I say that is because in Paul's day, in the church at Rome, humility wasn't considered a virtue. Humility was considered a vice, like it was looked down upon. Instead, in that day, pride, self-exaltation, like the pursuit of honor and status and esteem and recognition in the eyes of others, that was a virtue. That's what everyone sought after. That was the, that was the value, the virtue of the day. Humility was the vice of the day. Humility in that sense then was, is a Christian ethic. It's, it's Christianity that brought about this whole idea of this whole idea of, of humility being, being a virtue. But this is what Paul's saying, he's, he's twisting it all around, right? And this is going back to what he said last week in verse two, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world exalted pride Exalted honor, exalted status, exalted self-exaltation, and look down upon humility. And so he's saying, "Don't, don't, don't think like the world. Don't be conformed to the world anymore. Instead, be renewed by what? The transformation of your mind. And the transformation of our mind that has to occur that he's talking about here is specifically in regards to how we think about ourselves. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In other words, don't think that you're superior to others within the church. Don't think that you're better than others within the church. Don't think that you're more important than others within the church. And this is huge. Like I say it like that and it sounds really ugly and like, man, I, I don't think that. I would, I would never think that. But the reality is this is huge for us, right? This is a temptation for all of us. And this is huge to remember. Like your role or position of ministry in the church, this church doesn't make you superior to or better than anybody else in this church. Like your Bible knowledge and how much Bible you know or how much theology you know, doesn't make you better than or more important than anybody else within our church. Like your spiritual gift, your ministry experience, the number of mission trips you've been on, your job, your age, your marital status, your physical appearance, your beauty, your your bank account, None of that stuff makes you superior to or better than or more important than anybody else in the life of our church. But the reality, is, if we were honest with ourselves, these are all things that could cause us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But here Paul is saying that that's not how we are to think of ourselves and view ourselves in relation to one another. Which then begs the question, okay, if that's not how we're to think of ourselves, then Paul, like how are we to view ourselves and think of ourselves then? Well, he tells us, and you see this on your handout there. He tells us that here's how we're to think of ourselves. We're to think of ourselves as one of many members in the church, all with different functions that are equally valuable and essential to the overall health and functioning of the body. There's a whole lot in that statement right there. This is Paul's point that he gets at in the very end of verse three, really through the end of verse five and the very beginning of verse six there. And look what he says there in the rest of verse three. He says, but to think with sober judgment. So he's making a contrast here. Don't think like this, more highly of yourself than you ought to think, that you're superior and better than others within the life of this church. Instead, here's how you are to think. Think of yourself with sober judgment. So you're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means to to think rightly about yourself, to think sensibly about yourself, to have a correct, right, accurate judgment of yourself. So to think accurately, to think rightly, to think correctly about yourself, which then begs the question, well, what's the right, correct, accurate way for me to think about myself and view myself? Well, it's what he goes on to explain in the rest of verse three. Look there with me. Here's the right and accurate way we are to view ourselves and think of ourselves in relation to others within the church. He says this. Each, so here's, here's how we're to think about ourselves and view ourselves, each of us according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So again, what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to think of ourselves and view ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned? Like I don't know about you, but you can kind of leave your you know, head scratching a little bit, that can kind of be confusing and hard to understand what in the world Paul means by that. We're to think of ourselves and view ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Well, there's a whole lot that we could get into when it comes to just that little clause and and phrase here at the very end of verse three. But here's the short of it. Do you you see the word faith there? That, That word faith, The the Greek word for faith can be translated in a whole host of different ways. Just like the English word trunk can be translated in a lot of different ways depending upon context, right? Trunk of a tree, trunk of a car, trunk of an elephant. It could mean a whole lot of different things depending upon context. Well, one of the ways that this word that's translated as faith, another way it can be translated is, is is Stewardship. In other words, it's a reference to to a trust, something that you've been entrusted with. It's a reference to to a responsibility that has been distributed to you or assigned to you or entrusted to you that now you're you're a steward of. And that's what Paul's talking about here when it comes to the very end of verse three. He's gonna make this a lot more clear in verse four, five, and six. We'll be able to see this a lot more clear. What he's saying here is that God has distributed God has measured out different types of responsibilities, different gifts, different functions to us in the church. He's assigned them to us, He's entrusted them to us to to be good stewards of within the life of the church. That's why, then, when we get to verse 4, look at verse 4. That's why, then, when we get to verse 4, He gives this analogy of a body that has many members and many different parts. And in other words, verse 4, it's illustrating the point that he's making at the very end of verse 3 of God assigning and distributing different responsibilities, different gifts, different functions to us in the church. So then in verse 4, he illustrates this truth by saying this. Look at verse 4. He says, 4, meaning let me illustrate what I meant by the end of verse 3. As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, meaning the church here, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So then we know this analogy, right? We've heard this analogy before, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that just like a human body has many different parts, ears, nose, knees, feet, thumbs, eyes, just like a human body has many different parts, And all those parts have different functions. An eye sees, feet walk, ears hear, hearts are supposed to beat, lungs are supposed to breathe, right? One body, many parts, every part has a different function. So the same is true then when it comes to the church. The church is one body with many different parts, many different members that God has assigned to that body And each of those members then have different functions within the body that as they function then it leads to the overall health and the overall functioning of of the body. And what Paul's saying here is that right there is how each of us in the church are to think of ourselves. That's the sober judgment, that's the right way, the correct way, the accurate way that everyone within the life of the church should view themselves and think of themselves in relation to each other and everyone else in the life of the church. That, that's the sober judgment, the right way that he's talking about. It, it means that we're not thinking, again, more highly of ourselves. I'm better than you. I'm superior to you because I have this role in the church or I have this responsibility in the church. Or I have this spiritual gift in the church. this uh, This is... This is my part in the church. So we have this hierarchy in in who's better than who, who has more value than who, who's more important than who within the life of the church. He's saying, don't think of yourself like that. Instead, we're to realize and understand and think of ourselves as being one of many members in the body and that God has assigned different functions, different responsibilities, different gifts to those within the body, each of us. And no gift, no part, no member is superior to or better than or more important than, than the other. Instead, every gift, every part, every member, every function is essential and valuable and needed for the overall health and for the proper functioning of the body as a whole. That's how we are to view ourselves and think of ourselves in relation to others within the church. And as we do that, then it prevents us and keeps us from feeling like we're special and from feeling like more high and, to think and cause, helps us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But here's the thing. It, that makes sense, right? But it's even more than that, though. Like the point Paul's making is is even more than just even that point. It's not just that we're one of many members in the body and that we all have equally valuable and essential functions and roles and gifts in the body and therefore because of that, no part is superior to or inferior to 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 another. His point is even deeper than that. It's even more than that. His point is whatever... Gift we've been given, then whatever function we've been given in the life of the church, whatever role and responsibility and gift that we've been assigned in the church, it's been given to us by grace. It's been given to us by grace. That's what Paul goes on. Look at verse six. What he goes on to say at the very beginning of verse six, he says, "Having gifts that differ according to the grace." given to us. In other words, whatever gift you've been given, whatever part you play in the life of this church, whatever responsibility and role that God has assigned you and entrusted you to within this body, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't like pass a test to receive it. Instead, God just like gave it to you because of his grace. It's not like, oh man, look how special they are. I'm going to give them this. Look how much potential they have, so I'll give them this. Look how much they've worked hard and how much they deserve, so I'll give them this. Instead, it's just, Give this because I'm it's my grace. And when we think of ourselves that way, and the gift we have and the role we have and the responsibility that we've been entrusted with by God and distributed, that God has distributed to us, as we think about it that way, then it removes any reason for us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And to think that we're superior to or better than or more important than anybody else because we didn't do anything to deserve or to earn the gift and the role and the responsibility that we've been given instead it's just given to us by grace. And so why in the world would we pat ourselves on the back for something that we didn't deserve and that he just gave it to us by, by grace? And so this is the first way. This is like the first step. Like as a church, we want to worship God, right? Like this is like the vision statement of our church at the bottom. We exist to glorify God, right? We want to worship God. We want to glorify God. But the first step in doing that, the first step in us as a church, hopping on that altar and offering ourselves as a living corporate sacrifice to the Lord that is holy and pleasing to Him as an act of worship to Him, the first step in doing that, is to think rightly about ourselves. To not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. To realize that we're just one of many members within this body with all sorts of different functions. And we didn't even earn or deserve whatever functioning gift and role that is within the body. God just gave it to us by His grace. And what that does for us is it causes us, then compels us to live together in our relationships with one another not posturing, not sizing each other up, not figuring out where we all fit on the, on the pecking order of importance within the life of Cross Fellowship Church, but it causes us to just live in humility in our relationships with one another as we think rightly about ourselves, which then leads to this second way that we live, practically speaking, as this corporate living sacrifice that's an act of worship, of the Lord and the second way involves this you see this on your head out it involves us then using our gifts faithfully in the church this is the transition Paul makes there in verse six really at the end of verse six but look at the very beginning of verse six again he says having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us so we've seen that and then he says this let us use them in other words God has gifted you If you're a Christian, he's entrusted you, he's distributed to you, he's assigned to you a gift and a certain role and a certain function and a certain responsibility within the body. And he says, think rightly about that. You're not better than anybody else. But then secondly, he's like, now get to work. Like, get busy. God's given this to you, assigned this to you, entrusted this to you. Don't sit on it. Don't squander it. Instead, put it, put it to use. And this is, this, is, this is huge here. This is an important question. And I know we, we like know this, right? But really ask yourself, that's the exhortation. Let us use, let us use them. So are you, are you within this church Are you using the gift or gifts that God has distributed, assigned, and entrusted to you? Are you using those gifts faithfully, diligently, intentionally within this body? If not, then you're, you're living in disobedience. You're not being a faithful steward God has entrusted to you a gift that you're to use as a steward for the good and the edification and the building up of this this body. And if you're not, then our body is hindered. It's it's hurting. It's not able to function fully and and maximally as, as, as as God originally intended. And so then I know for like my physical body, and there's a lot of parts that aren't working, and don't nod your head. But there, there's just not. Like, I, I, my taste buds don't work. My smeller doesn't work. My eyes don't work without these big old honking contacts. I think I got like carpal tunnel. I, I can hardly like write in my name. Typing's weird and hard now. You know, and I'm only 40 some odd years old. You know, I'm. it's, oh man, you know, anyway. Oh. And so because of that, I have different parts of my body that aren't working. And as a result, I, I, can't, I can't do certain things. I can't write like I want. I can't type like I want. I can't smell like I want. I can't enjoy food like God intended. I can't, can't see when I take my contacts out. I, my body's hampered. My body's hindered. Because there's specific parts of my body that are dormant, that aren't doing anything, that that aren't working. And that's the same thing when it comes to us as a church. God has uniquely crafted and designed and put this body together with this person and that person and that person and that person. And each person is coming to this body with a gift or gifts that they're to live and exercise in the life of our church body. And when they don't, when one gift isn't working, and this gift isn't working, and that gift isn't working, but that gift is working, that gift is working, but that's not good. And there's certain parts that aren't working, that just like my body is hindered and, and hampered when, when parts aren't working, so also is true when it comes to our church body. That in order for our church body to function the way that God intended for us to function, it requires every single part of the body exercising and using, using, being a good steward of the gift that God has assigned and distributed to, to you. So how, how are you doing that within the life of our, of our church? In the rest of verse six then, really all the way through the rest of verse eight, what Paul's going to do is give a sampling of different gifts that that God has given and entrusted to the church. And this is important. The key word there is sampling, right? What we're going to read in verses six through eight isn't an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God has given to uh, the church and, and believers. Instead, this is just a sampling list of seven of the gifts that God has given. So just a sampling, not all of them. And so, here, here's a, here's a, kind of a, an explanation of each of the gifts that Paul mentions here as a sample or examples of some of the gifts that God has given. And, and the first gift that he mentions, and you see these on your handout there, is the gift of prophecy. And we see this at the very end of verse 6 there. He says, If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Again, this is kind of confusing here, but the word faith here in verse 6 it's used in the exact same way that he used it earlier at the end of verse 3 that we saw earlier. In other words, it can be translated again as stewardship or a trust that has been entrusted to you or a responsibility that has been entrusted to you to you to, to use and to be a good steward of. And so what he's saying here is that those who've been given the gift of prophecy have been entrusted with that gift from God. And they're to use it then in proportion to the measure of the gift that God has given to them. Meaning God distributes gifts, and here's one way to think about it, God distributes gifts in different shapes or in different sizes. So two people could be given the gift of prophecy and have the gift of prophecy, but not in the same way or not in the same amount, if you want to think about it that way. Which then, there's a lot more we could get to when it comes to that, but it begs the question, that everybody wants to know then, what's he mean by prophecy here? What's Paul referring to here? Well, a good definition of prophecy that I, that I think, well, that and he doesn't explain what prophecy is within the context here, but when we go to like 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and other places in scripture, a good definition of, of what prophecy is in the New Testament uh, from other places in scripture would be this, and I got this definition from Tom Schreiner, he's a New Testament um, professor at Southern Seminary, but he would describe prophecy as this, the reception of spontaneous revelations from God that are then communicated to God's people. In other words, when we think about prophecy, we oftentimes just like to think about the foretelling of future events. And I believe it it can be that, like we see that with Agabus in, in the book of Acts on a couple different occasions. But instead, what it, what it primarily is, according to like 1 Corinthians 14, 3, is that prophecy involves being given a word from God for the purpose of, of building up, encouraging, comforting, instructing, warning, and giving insight to others. And so these, these prophecies or these revelations from God, they're, they're not to be considered authoritative in the, in the same way as Scripture is. The reason we know that is because of what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 says. It says to test prophecies. Nowhere in Bible are we told to test Scripture and to weed out and determine what is good and what we can toss away. Like never tells us to do that with Scripture. And therefore, these, these prophecies, these revelations from God, these words from God, then must be a, a lesser uh, form, lesser... Uh, Revelation, lesser authority than than what Scripture is. So there's a whole lot more that we could get into when it comes to prophecy, but that's my understanding there, kind of that definition there of what Paul means when he's talking about the gift of prophecy. Next then, Paul mentions, next gift he mentions there is the gift of service. This gift of service is a reference to meeting physical needs, meeting the physical material needs of others. Then he mentions teaching. And teaching is pretty obvious. It's accurately and clearly communicating and the, the, explaining uh, the truth of the Bible, the content of the Bible accurately, clearly. Which is different then than the next, which is different, teaching is different than, than the next spiritual he, gift he gives them, which is exhortation. And, and the difference between teaching and exhortation is this. Teaching involves explaining the content and the meaning of the Bible to others, but exhortation involves, and you see this on your hand out there, encouraging and spurring others on to obey God's word and put it into practice. And so teaching is explain the content of the Bible, and exhortation is spurring and, and encouraging people to apply it and obey it and put it into practice. And so preaching is kind of like teaching and exhortation kind of, kind of together, if that kind of makes sense. The final three gifts he mentions there are kind of unique because in these final three gifts, he explains the manner in which these gifts are to be exercised, meaning how these gifts are to be exercised and, and used. And so he begins there by saying that the one who contributes, and so the one who has the gift of giving or the gift of contributing, is to do so with generosity. Meaning the one who has the gift of giving or, or contributing they're, they're not supposed to, supposed to give with, with, with stinginess or regret. Instead, if you have the gift of giving and contributing, you're supposed to give with a heart of generosity. Which then leads to this next gift he mentions, which is the gift of leadership. Which is the gift of, that literally means to preside over And so the gift of leadership is overseeing or or leading those that God has put under your care. And he says in verse eight there that those who have the gift of leadership, the one who leads is to do so with zeal. Love that picture, it's to do so with zeal, meaning not lazy, not half-hearted, but with passion, with diligence. Then lastly, he mentions there at the end of verse eight, he mentions the gift of mercy. And the gift of mercy is the gift of alleviating misery or alleviating suffering, the suffering of others. And Paul says that those who have the gift of mercy are to exercise the gift of mercy, he says with cheerfulness. Meaning not begrudgingly, not out of sense of duty, not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you do it cheerfully. You're, you're eager to do it. So then, obviously, that, that's not, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God has given, but this is just a sample list of of seven of the gifts that God has entrusted to us. So, here's how I want to end our time together. Really practical, really focusing on two questions. And the first question is this, if everything we've seen is true, if God has graciously given every believer, every member in this church a gift, And if he intends for every believer, every member of this church, to use their gift. Remember, let us use them and put them to work. If if that's God's intention, then the first question is this. How do I know what gift God's given me? How do I know if, if God's assigned and distributed, entrusted gifts? Then how do you know what in the world your gift is? Well, I think there's two, two answers to that question. And the first answer is this. See the singing out there? But the first way is to pray and ask God. And you're like, well, that seems pretty obvious. I'm like, yeah, it does. And some things, sometimes things are so obvious, we don't do them. And so if you're there wondering what gift God maybe has entrusted and assigned to you, like, have you ever spent time praying and asking him to give you discernment and wisdom in terms of being able to better discern and understand exactly what gift or gifts that God has entrusted to you? Secondly, then, how you discover your gift would be this. You get busy serving the church. You get busy serving the body. In other words, the way that you discover your spiritual gift primarily isn't by taking a spiritual gifts test. I'm not against spiritual gifts tests. I'm not knocking spiritual gifts tests. I've taken spiritual gifts tests in my life, okay? So there's a place for them, I think, maybe. On a bad day, I'll say yes. But, so I'm, I'm not knocking them, kind of. I don't know. Anyway, but the way, I'm gonna redeem this. The way you discover your spiritual gift isn't primarily by taking spiritual gifts tests. The way you, you discover your spiritual gift is by serving the body. Getting busy. Just getting busy serving the body. Looking for opportunities within the body. Looking for needs within the body. Looking for people within the body that you can serve and help and come alongside and encourage and edify and, and all that stuff. And guess what happens when you do that? As you get busy serving the body and trying out maybe different ministry opportunities and ministry context within the body, that as you begin to do all that and just jump headlong with both feet and serving people and ministry context within the life of a church, then slowly but surely, you know what's going to happen? People are going to come up to you and say, hey, you know what? Man, that encouraged me. When you did that, man, that built me up. Man, when you do that, do you see how that blesses the church? Man, you seem to be really good at that. I mean, you seem to be really gifted at that. But if you just sit back and don't do jack squat, nobody's going to say any of that to you. Because nobody knows. But as you're busy serving in all sorts of different capacities and contexts and relationships within the life of our church, it's that context in which you discover, you begin to discover your, your gift. It's in this way then that we can say this, and you see this on your hand out there, is that we don't discover our gift. Instead, the church discovers it for us. We don't discover our gift. You don't discover your gift. Instead, the church discovers it for you. As you're busy serving, blessing, coming alongside, helping in whatever way that might be, teaching, leading, mercy, giving. Encouragement, service, then as people say, hey, man, that, that edified me. That was a blessing to me. You, you're gifted in, in that. What that. What that means then is that we need to be quick to encourage people in this way. That as we see people serving in different ways within our body, as we see God using their acts of service and their gift in different ways within our body is that is building and blessing our body and helping our body and helping individuals within our body and encouraging them and edifying them. And we need to, we need to tell people, hey, that was that a blessing, man, that, that edified me. Man, you might be gifted in that, man. And we need to be quick to, to encourage people in these ways to help them discover their gifts that God's given to them. Which then leads to the final question we're gonna end with. And the final question is this. Okay, I've discovered my gift, or gifts. I know how God has gifted me. I know this what he's assigned to me, distributed to me. I know that. I, I know also, like, I need, to, I need to faithfully use that within the life of this church, Cross Fellowship Church. So then how do I do that? Like, within the life of this church, this particular local church, Church, how can I use my gift in Cross Fellowship Church? Practically, specifically, where can I do that? What's that look like? Well, that's that's a good question. And here's, here's a few, we're gonna end with this. Here's a few different contexts, a few different ways that you can use your gift, exercise your gift within the life of our church. And the first way is this. It's to invest in relationships. To invest in relationships. In other words, most people, when they think of using their spiritual gift within the life of our church, they think of a formal ministry. They think of a position. They think of a title. They think of a role in a specific formal ministry within the life of our church. And again, that's not a bad thing. We've got some of those, and we'll talk about those here in just a minute. But usually when, when someone asks about using their gift, that's specifically what they're thinking about. But usually when people come to me and ask me how they can use their gift, instead of pointing them to a specific role or position or ministry, formal ministry in the life of our church, instead what I'll usually do is point to a person and say, hey, you want to use your gift? See that person? Take them out to lunch. You see, that, you see that person? Go get to know them. Ask them about their life. Dig in their life. You see that person? Have them over for dinner. And get to know them. It's, it's those relationships. So as you begin to build relationships with people within the life of our church, needs begin to arise. Ways you can use your gift in their life begin to arise. And you're like, hey, I can help in this way. I can, I can serve you in this way. I can use my gift in, in their life or, or their lives this way. As you begin to invest in relationships, all sorts of needs and all sorts of opportunities to use your gifts begin to Arise, But if you're not in those relationships and actively and intentionally seeking to develop those relationships, it's going to be really, really hard. And so my encouragement then would be this. And you see this on your handout. handout. Come each Sunday morning a little early and stay a little late and talk to people. Just, Just do that. And then number two on your handout there, it says pursue meaningful relationships with others throughout the week. Like hospitality, having them over, grabbing lunch with them, discipling, serving in, in different ways. In other words, just get to know people. Needs will arise. Opportunities, you use your gift in, the, in their lives and in your relationship with them will begin to arise. It won't ever appear on the back of the worship guide. It won't ever appear on the handout. It won't, won't ever be a formal ministry in the life of our church. But it will be you exercising and using your gift within, within our body. So that's one way you can exercise and use your gift. It's often overlooked. Second way then would be to serve those in your discipleship community. Serve those within your discipleship community. In other words, think about, okay, I've got this gift. How can I use this gift within my DC? How can I use this gift to help, to serve, to edify those within, those within my DC? What would it look like in my D.C. for me to exercise and to use this gift that, that God has given me to edify those within my D.C.? That might mean within the context of your formal D.C. meeting on Wednesday nights. Or it might mean throughout the week in specific relationships um, with those within your D.C. And so as D.C. leaders, think about how can I, how can I maybe better use different gifts within my D.C.? And what that might look like. Next then... Um, a way that you can use your gifts within the life of our church would be this, to serve on a ministry team, to serve on a ministry team. That we have seven formal ministry teams within the life of our church. They're listed, I believe, on your, on your handout there. So we have the children's ministry team, communications team, the facilities team, okay? Children's ministry team, right? Always need help. Y'all, y'all are like, yeah, you always do. I've heard that announcement. Um, facilities team, always need help, like big help, set up, tear down, all of that. Um, Global disciple making team, hospitality team, musical worship team, like we had one this morning, but many weeks we're in need of a drummer. I don't know if that's a spiritual gift or not, but we need one, okay, like regularly each week. And so um, anyway, if if you're good or if you wanna learn, um, don't see me, see Josh. Stewardship teams, so it's just seven different organized ministry teams that you can serve in and, and exercise your gift in. So if you're interested in, in serving in one of those teams, see one of us as elders, and we can connect you with the right person to get you um, involved in that. Another way you can use your gift is by leading a discipleship community. And so this is a good fit for those who have the gift of leadership, those who have the gift of exhortation, those who are gifted in leading, shepherding others, exhorting others to apply and to live out God's word. Um, so that would be leading into the subject community. And then another way here would be teaching and equipping class. So this would obviously be a good fit for those who have the gift of, of teaching within the life of our church. So again, this is an exhaustive list of every way that you can be involved in using your gift within the life of our church. But it is some primary context and practical ways that you can use your gift in our church body. So do you see the picture? Like practically... It's what it practically, specifically, like in great detail, looks like for us to come together and offer ourselves. Here's Cross Fellowship Church getting on the altar together, offering ourselves, presenting ourselves as a church body to the Lord as a living corporate sacrifice that is holy and acceptable and pleasing to him as our act of worship to it involves us not thinking more highly of ourselves, who's better than who, who's more important than who, who's superior to you. I got a better gift than you. I got a better role than you. I got, a, I'm, I got more Bible knowledge than you. So I'm, no, none of that is happening within the life of our church. Instead, we're all just recognizing, no, we're one body. God has uniquely gifted us all with different gifts and different functions, responsibilities within the body. We didn't do anything to earn and deserve the responsibility and the gift and the function that we've been given. So God just graciously gave it to us by his grace. And so we're all all equal in terms of our value and how essential our gift is to the body. It's not about us and what gift we have. It's about contributing to the overall health of the body. And every gift is needed, no matter how small or how big that gift might seem and might be. Seem to appear. And as we recognize that then. We use it. All of us. Serving. Building into. Exercising. The gift that God has given to us. And as that is happening. That proper mindset and heartbeat. Of thinking ourselves rightly. And using our gifts faithfully. Then in doing so. We become. And we live out this picture of a living corporate sacrifice that God takes a good whiff of, because God can smell, um, and we become a holy and acceptable, pleasing sacrifice to Him. And an act of worship to Him. I pray that that would be true of us as a church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that you have given to us. Thank you that you don't just leave things in generalities and vagueness and concepts. Lord, but you flesh it out in great detail for us. And Lord, as a church, we want to worship you. Lord, as a church, we want you to receive great glory and honor from Cross Fellowship Church. Lord, we're a means to an end. We're not the end. We're a means to an end. And that end is your honor and glory. And so, Lord, our prayer is that you would take us and use us however you see fit, this small body here, take us and use us to make a great big name for yourself. Lord, we've been instructed in your word that one of the ways that you do that, is by us thinking rightly about ourselves in relationship to one another and by us us faithfully using our gifts to serve and to build up this body so this body would function properly and in such a way that you get great glory and worship from. I'm thankful for the many ways that I've seen that and continue to see that among so many within the life of our church. But we pray that you would continue to stretch us and grow us even more and more and more in the days ahead. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.